Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. Thanks for being here today, and I hope that you're having a great day so far. There's so much to enjoy and be grateful for in life, and the way we approach each day can and does affect our mood, decision-making, courage, and our effort in pursuing our passion in life. We all need a little positive perspective to power ourselves each day. That's why I listen to podcasts, and I hope the reason you listen to this podcast, Open Your Eyes. Don't ever doubt the power of setting your mind right each day. It has a lasting impact. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about you and your life, that it is a gift. You know, the outer crust of the Earth's surface is made up of a series of tectonic plates that cover the surface of the planet. It seems incredible, but these plates are moving beneath our feet. There are seven major and eight minor plates. The largest plates are the Antarctic, Eurasian, and North American plates. On average, these plates are 80 miles thick. Obviously, the plates below mountains are thicker, and they're thinner at ocean ridges. The Pacific plate sits almost entirely below the ocean surface. Along the edge of the Pacific plate is a long series of earthquake-prone edges called the Ring of Fire. At these edges of the Ring of Fire, the Pacific Plate collides with adjacent plates and is pushed downward at zones of subduction. And this causes the most active and violent areas of earthquakes on the planet. This is the reason Japan and Peru and Tonga and the Philippines are prone to have earthquakes. What you will often see along the edges of tectonic plates are volcanoes and islands that have shot up from below the ocean floor. However, one exception to this is the Hawaiian Islands. These islands are not at the edge of the Pacific Plate. The Hawaiian Island chain is a well-known example of islands created by hotspot volcanoes. This means there are hotspots breaking through the Pacific tectonic plate, and these volcanoes have created a series of islands. The Hawaiian Islands extend over a vast area of the North Pacific Ocean. The group of islands is made up of 132 islands, atolls, reefs, shallow banks, shoals, and seamounts stretching over 1,500 miles. And the islands are still in constant evolution, still forming. But native Hawaiian tradition says that Maui, a demigod, created the Hawaiian islands. Yes, this is the same Maui found in the recent Disney film Moana. And Maui is known for being a trickster who owned a great fish hook. Maui created the Hawaiian Islands by tricking his brothers into going fishing with him. While fishing, Maui hooked the ocean floor by mistake. He told his brothers that he had caught a great fish and needed them to row with all their might. They paddled so intensely that they lifted the great islands of Hawaii up from the depths of the seas. Now, Maui was not pleased that the islands were separated in the ocean, so he decided to draw them together. Unfortunately, he pulled too tight with his fishing line, breaking off pieces of land at the small western island of Koala and the big eastern island of Hawaii. However, the islands were formed, and they are one of the most beautiful places on Earth. One of those breathtaking islands is Maui. And legend dictates that Hawaii Iola named the island after his son, Maui, who himself was named after the demigod, Maui. And Maui has been the subject of tragic news over the past weeks, 
after a devastating fire tore through the historic town of Lahaina, which lies on the island's western edge. The fire would reduce this entire city to ashes. A perfect storm of events led to the tragedy. First, Maui, for most of the summer, had been in severe drought conditions. The entire island was experiencing drought, but the south and west areas of the island were in severe drought conditions. Brown mountains, cracked dry land, and much of the typical green vegetation was brown and dry. And with the drought, Maui started experiencing frequent brush fires throughout the summer. There were large amounts of dry leaves and foliage that had fallen to the ground. And this extra amount of dry fuel meant any small fire could erupt into a catastrophe. Meanwhile, Hurricane Dora was churning in the Pacific, several hundred miles south of Hawaii. The islands weren't under the direct path of Dora, but as Dora approached, the storm's resulting low pressure, paired with the high pressure to the north, created extremely strong winds that hit Maui unexpectedly hard. On August 8th, high winds reported as strong as 80 miles per hour hit the island. During the high winds, some people saw power lines whipping in the wind. One resident saw power lines fall to the ground and ignite a fire. Hawaiian Electric Company is facing criticism now for not shutting off the power amid high wind warnings and keeping it on even as dozens of poles begin to topple. You see, when a power line falls down, it remains energized until the utility company shuts it off. If vegetation's on the ground with a high-voltage down conductor, it can spark a fire. On Maui, in the early morning hours on August 8th, brush fire was started, and the smoke from the fire could be seen from miles away. As the fire burned and daylight began, an evacuation was made near Lahaina School, but about 9 a.m., fire officials declared the fire was 100% contained. But within a matter of minutes, the winds accelerated, and the National Weather Service in Honolulu issued a high wind warning, and the winds were so strong that there was no chance of keeping the fire contained. It blew the fire in huge leaps and bounds, igniting the dry material on the ground as it spread. Well, as the fire spread, officials closed roads and issued a shelter-in-place advisory, but minutes later, the fire started burning houses in Lahaina. At 3.43, the lieutenant governor issued an emergency proclamation to activate the National Guard. As houses started to burn, at 4.45 p.m., evacuation orders for several neighborhoods were issued. By 6 p.m., the smoke was so thick, residents couldn't see where they were going. Air Force veteran Bosco J.R. Bay tried to save his Lahaina apartment building from the raging flames. He grabbed a water hose to stop the spread. He said, everything was on fire. At one point, I had to stay on the ground to wait for thick smoke to clear. The blowing embers in the wind looked like it was raining fire. Finally, he gave up and ran. A few minutes later, his house was gone. Fanned by the 80-mile-an-hour winds, the flames went from house to house in seconds. The fire moved so fast and so fierce that many elderly residents were found still in their chairs inside their homes. They had little to no warning. Jeff Bogar and Franklin Treos did not evacuate at first. They stayed behind thinking they could save their house and help their neighbors. But soon the embers were falling like rain. The smoke was too thick and fire surrounded them. So they each jumped in their own cars to drive away. Jeff's car wouldn't start. So he got out, ran down the road, and was rescued by police. Treos, however, was not seen again. The next day, Jeff returned to find Treos's remains inside another car, 
He was lying on top of their beloved dog, a three-year-old golden retriever named Sam, that he was trying to shelter from the fire. Because the flames were moving so fast, many residents never made it out of their homes. Carol Hartley, age 60, and her partner Charles were separated in the chaos as fire swept through their home. Charles and Carol were about to get in their truck when it exploded in front of them. He said he told Carol to run, and he thought she was in front of him running, but he never saw her again. Charles survived, but suffered third-degree burns, and he returned to the property on August 12th to find Carol's remains. As people were trying to escape in their cars, the fire caught up to the slow traffic, and as some cars would catch on fire, they exploded. Joe Schilling, 67, sent text messages to his friend that afternoon. Schilling's loved ones believed he chose to stay behind in his apartment complex to help several elderly residents who were unable to evacuate. Schilling sent photos showing a nearby home on fire with thick smoke billowing into the air. In his last text message, he warned, cars parked on the road are now exploding. He didn't survive. In total, well over 100 residents of Lahaina died in the fire. Many that escaped ran desperately for the water and spent much of the afternoon and evening shivering in the ocean. For all residents of the small, historic Hawaiian town, the events of August 8th will not be forgotten, nor will the friends and family lost there. One survivor said, I will miss my friends terribly, but I am grateful. I'm grateful to be alive. I now see every day as a gift. As I watched and read the firsthand accounts of those who lived through this horrible tragedy, I couldn't help but let those words, life is a gift, linger in my mind. And it is a reminder to you and to me that those people who live as if today was a gift live different. They live better. Because the truth is that the present moment is really all you ever have. Now, events in my life of late have led me to contemplate the gift of today and how I approach my days. Do you see today as another in a long line of days to which you are entitled and worry little about the way you approach the day? letting things act on you and passively accepting what comes your way? Or do you see today as a gift? Do you count the time as precious? Do you treat the interactions you have with others as valuable? Do you see your challenges as temporary? Because in truth, you just might be lucky enough to get another gift tomorrow, and who knows if that challenge will no longer be part of your days. If today were your last, if this week were your last week, with your family, in your job, with that person that you love, or on this earth, what would you do different? Or if that is too dramatic an approach, what if you simply were to treat today as a gift? What would you do different? Well, Eleanor Roosevelt famously said, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. Now, I can tell you, that when you see today as a gift, you change. When you pray in the morning with a sense of gratitude that today is a gift, not to be wasted, your days are better, richer, stronger, and you're more apt to do and be more of who you are meant to be. You know, several years ago, a few days before Christmas, just as it was getting dark, we loaded our three kids in the car, including our new seven-month-old baby, Mary, and headed 20 miles across town in northern Cincinnati. We were headed to a rather famous farm that had a large Christmas light display. 
We drove through the farm, enjoyed the lights, and headed home through the country roads just as snow started to fall. It was a perfect holiday night, and my wife and I were looking forward to home and rest. It had been a long day. I was driving about 60 miles an hour on a winding country road when a car headed towards us in the distance came off a long winding turn and suddenly veered directly into our lane. I don't know if you've ever been driving at rapid speed and all of a sudden had a car drive into your lane and it's immediately obvious you're about to be hit head on, but it's amazing how things slow down to a crawl as you try to react. I immediately knew there was nothing I could do that we were going to hit this car head on. And I immediately knew it was likely one or more of my children were going to be seriously injured. And worse, I immediately knew that my four-year-old and six-year-old were lying in the back seat, and it was likely they had taken off their safety belts. I braked and veered to the right off the road as quickly as I could, but I was too late. The black Mustang GT slammed into the left front of the car where I was seated in the driver's seat. The front corner, engine, and my door took the majority of the impact. The car hit with such force, it knocked me silly. The airbags deployed, windows all broke in pieces, and our car lurched into the air and slammed back to the ground. Immediately, you could smell smoke, and everything for a few seconds was silent. The next sound was my six-year-old daughter screaming. I was knocked so silly that I could hear the sounds around me, but I could not open my eyes to react. It was like my mind wanted to react. I knew I needed to check on my kids and wife, but my body didn't work. And while I was there in a daze, I heard my wife unbuckle her safety belt and scramble back towards my daughter. What I didn't hear was the baby. Our baby Mary was completely silent. No sound. That probably meant she was not conscious. And when I realized she wasn't crying, something pulled me out of my dizzy slumber, and I opened my eyes, released my seatbelt, and turned to see how she was. Her car seat was upside down. Luckily, she was still in the car seat. As I pulled the seat upright, broken glass fell everywhere. It filled her little car seat, glass around her arms and legs. But despite all of that, when I sat her upright, she started to cry. That was a good sign. I checked her face and arms and legs, and nothing seemed broken. Best of all, while she had some cuts and scratches, no serious cuts. This was a huge relief. My four-year-old son, however, wasn't responding. My wife yelled at me from the back seat to get help. Now, these were in the days before cell phones, so I climbed out of the car, and when I did, I noticed that it was extremely painful to put weight on my left leg, and that my neck was injured. I would later learn that I had fractured my foot and had a serious neck injury, something I deal with even today. Our van was in a ditch and pushed up against a fence on the side of the road. The other driver was front wheels first in the ditch a few hundred feet away and was trying to back his car out of the ditch. I assumed so he could drive away from the scene. I went to him and told him if he had enough wherewithal to drive his car, he should get out and walk to the farmhouse nearby and call the police for help. My son was hurt. I hobbled back to the car, and as we huddled there in the cold winter air, I still didn't know if my children were going to be okay. Soon the ambulance arrived, and they put me, my wife, baby Mary, my older daughter in the ambulance to stay warm while they tried to extract my son, who was still in the back seat. They went through the back of the van, cutting away part of the side of the van to get to him. Soon the back door of the ambulance opened, and there he was, 
on a gurney with his head and neck taped down to keep him immobile. When they slid him into the ambulance, I expected him to be in tears. But instead, he had this huge smile on his face. You see, the big TV show of the day was called Rescue 911. And we watched it now and then with Jared. And he loved fire trucks. So when he got a chance to interact with the firemen to be put in an ambulance, he was super excited. Then, to our surprise, the paramedics had put the driver of the other car on a gurney and slid him into our crowded ambulance to keep him out of the cold while we waited for a second ambulance to arrive. The minute he entered our airspace, it was obvious he'd been drinking. As I sat there in the ambulance, I was filled with anger towards him. I was going to make him pay. Whatever the police could do to punish him, I would encourage. Whatever I could do legally, I would do. He would pay. He had almost killed my children. But then something happened. I looked at my son. He was alive. I looked at my family there in the back of the ambulance. We were alive. It was a gift from heaven. And in the midst of this view, this gift, I forgot entirely about any vengeance or plans to exact revenge. Well, we finally made it home from the hospital early in the morning, carried our sleepy children into the house and laid them down to sleep. We lived 2,000 miles from any family. We had no one to help. We were battered, bruised, and alone for Christmas. We could barely move. We were so sore. Everything hurt. When we woke up the next day, we were moaning and groaning and both sporting Miss USA ribbons. On our chest and stomach, where the seatbelts were buckled, we had ribbons of bruises that were completely purple. We joked we had won the prize. And in truth, that's how we felt. On that special day, we had won the prize. We had walked away from the accident intact, with our family intact, and God had given us a gift. It's funny, you know. One view could have been that our holiday was ruined. No car, it was totaled. My son had a face that looked like he'd been hit with a baseball bat. There was lots of inconvenience and expense, and other issues came our way as a result of the accident. But instead, that day was a gift. And this experience has helped me throughout my life and served as a clear reminder that when we see life as a gift, we change. Now, what about you? Can you view your day today as a gift? And as such, what will you do different today? So, let's talk for a few minutes about how to view our life as a gift and how to make that gift last by what we choose to do, see, and feel during our days that have been given to us. The first, perhaps most important factor that can change our life is reminding ourselves that life is indeed a gift, because we tend to forget as we focus on the demands of the day-to-day in our life. You know, I have two friends who work together and are people who treat every day as a gift. Here's what I notice about them. They feed their view of life. Every day, they're feeding their mind, feeding their soul. They have reminders. They seek out new sources of inspiration, and they start every day getting their mind right. What does the start of your day look like? Are you putting into your mind and view the attitude that life is a gift? Are you letting that attitude carry you? Because if you see life as a gift, my experience is that you take more risks. You have faith. You evolve rather than revolve through the mundane things of the day. Edith was born in Czechoslovakia, and she loved ballet and gymnastics. She worked hard and was a member of the Hungarian Olympic gymnastics team in 1942. 
Then the Hungarian government enacted a new anti-Jewish law, and she was removed from the gymnastics team. In March of 1944, after the Germans occupied Hungary, Edith was forced to live in the Casa Ghetto with her parents. In April, they were forced to stay in a brick factory with 12,000 other Jews for a month. In May of that year, they were deported to Auschwitz. She was separated from her mother, who was murdered in the gas chamber. Now, according to her memoirs, Edith stayed in various camps, including Mauthausen. The Nazis evacuated Mauthausen and other concentration camps as the Americans in the Red Army approached. Edith was sent on a death march with her sisters and other women. They marched about 55 kilometers in the winter. And when she couldn't walk further due to exhaustion, one of the girls with whom she had shared her bread in earlier days carried her onward together. When the U.S. military liberated their camp in May of 1945, she was left for dead among a number of dead bodies. But a soldier is said to have rescued her after seeing her hand move. The soldier quickly sought medical attention and saved her life. At the time, she weighed 70 pounds. Well, Edith recovered in American field hospitals and returned home to find her sister. She married a man who she met in the hospital. They fled together with their daughter to the United States. There, for years, she suffered war trauma and survivor's guilt. Well, Edith Eager studied therapy and received her PhD in clinical psychology, and she would return to Auschwitz to face her repressed emotions. And she would later write two books to help others free themselves from their thoughts and see their life, regardless of circumstances, as a gift. And she would later appear on The Oprah Winfrey Show. She famously said, You can come to terms with what was and what wasn't, and you can concentrate not on what was lost, but what is left. You have a choice to live every moment as a gift, to embrace what is. Now, Edith taught that the real prisons are not those like she lived in during the war, but the prisons of our mind. And the key to unlocking our minds when we get stuck is to see life as a gift. She tells the story of working on her master's at the university. And she said, my supervisor came to me and said, Eddie, you've got to get a doctorate. I laughed. By the time I get a doctorate, I'll be 50, I said. You'll be 50 anyway, he said. Now, those are the smartest four words anyone ever said to me. She said, honey, you're going to be 50 anyway, or 30 or 60 or 90. So you might as well take a risk. Do something you've never done. To grow, you've got to evolve instead of revolve. Now, I agree with her. To grow, you've got to evolve instead of revolve. And this leads us to our second principle of seeing life as a gift. What you think is what you will see. And what I've learned in life is that thoughts, like my life is a gift, are very real and do create reality in our life. One author put it like this. Dr. Caroline Leaf teaches how scientists have discovered that one thought creates what looks something like a tree in your brain. And if the thought never comes back, it will dissolve over a few days. But if you continue to think on this thought, it will grow more branches on this little tree, and it becomes more developed. Your thoughts are therefore affecting your physical brain and your body's health. Positive thoughts, God thoughts, will affect the health of the brain in a positive way. We were never designed for our brains to handle negative thoughts for any length of time. 
Research shows that 75 to 98% of mental, physical, and behavior illness comes from one's thought life. So when you linger on thoughts, you create a neural pathway in your brain. And this neural pathway is the connection from one neuron to another. And this allows a signal to be sent from one part of your nervous system to another more quickly. Think about it like this. Imagine walking across a wheat field. The first time you step on the stalks of wheat and bend them down, make sort of a path, if you will. If you never travel that way again, the path will disappear. But if you travel that path again and again, soon the path will become more defined. If traveled extensively, it will grow into a trail, then a dirt road, then maybe a paved road, and even a superhighway. That's why seeing life as a gift, talking about life as a gift, treating life as if it were a gift becomes habit inside your brain. And I also believe that when we see life as a gift, we're more open to see how we can be a gift to others in our life. Because if you're looking, I would wager that you will find that God does want to use you to answer a prayer, to be of help, and to give a gift from him to someone in your life. This week, when you act more as if your life is a gift, one of the results will likely be an impression that your life is in fact to be a gift to others. Now, I'm not sure what it is that you're supposed to do or what gift it is you're supposed to bring, but I have faith that God, who knows the end from the beginning, has put you in someone's path so that you can be of help to them right now. And it is up to you to decide if you will adopt the mindset that you are in fact here to be a gift. And this will help you open your eyes to how you can do God's will in someone else's life. This is what has happened in thousands of ways since the fire happened at Maui. One group of people who stepped up to be a gift were the culinary world. Restaurant owners, chefs, food truck operators, suppliers, farmers, and others stepped up to serve food to those impacted by the fires. As a chef, the first thing I wanted to do is like, how can I help? I can cook, local celebrity and restaurant owner Sheldon Simeon said. This is a grassroots community effort to feed the people that need to be fed. It's a group of chefs and just community people making food, giving from their hearts and feeding our community. Celebrity chef Leanne Wong, who moved to the island in 2019 to open Papaina at the Pioneer Inn, was among those who lost her restaurant to the flames. What did she do after her loss? Well, she went to work giving of herself and preparing meals. I didn't really have time to stop and take a beat, she said. Our community mobilized right away. There are no words for the devastating loss and tragedy that's unfolding on Maui, she said on Instagram. Historic Lahaina has been my place of business for the past three years, and the Pioneer Inn was my second home. My culinary community, my friends, my people, I know you all want to help, and there is help on the way. Now, hundreds of people and organizations are helping in Hawaii. Some organizations, not even in the orbit of Maui, are giving. The Vanderbilt University football team is donating a portion of ticket sales for its football opener against University of Hawaii, to provide relief to Maui fire victims and provide shelter, food, and financial assistance. The Commodores were playing the University of Hawaii Rainbow Warriors in their season opener, which is held on the island of Oahu, which was not impacted by the wildfires. The Rainbow Warriors roster 
list two players from Maui, including one from the hardest hit town of Lahaina. So that was enough of a connection to motivate Vanderbilt and its players to help. People are likely in your orbit today. Have they been placed there for a reason? Does God know in advance what their needs are? Has he placed you there to be a gift from him to them? When will you adopt this view? And when you do adopt this view, things change. One of my favorite ministers of all time said this, the same God that placed that star in precise orbit millennia before it appeared over Bethlehem in celebration of the birth of Jesus has given at least equal attention to the placement of each of us in precise orbits so that we, if we will, may illuminate the landscape of our individual lives to help others and be a gift to them. So, as we end today, remember, your life is a gift. And when you see each day as a gift, as an opportunity, your life, your view of it changes. And when that happens, you live differently. And remember, you are likely where you are in life to be a gift to someone in your orbit today. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. And join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.